0: Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez.
1: Welcome back to the podcast. Today I have the privilege of hosting Deckel Geldman. He's the CEO at FDNA. FDNA is a company that initially started with facial analysis, and hence the F in the DNA. He's the founding CEO of the company. There, he leads the corporate and business strategy that turned the company from early-stage startup, developing next-generation phenotyping, NGP technologies, into a global leader in AI, genomics, and precision medicine. FDNA is a developer of Face2Gene, the leading phenotyping platform in the clinical genomics space, powered by the largest and fastest-growing phenotyping database in the world. DECL has extensive experience in business development, legal counseling, and regulatory compliance. Mr. Gulpman has worked closely with dozens of startups companies, including some of the most innovative technological companies from a wide variety of fields, following them through from seed stage to exit. Mr. Gulpman previously worked at the corporate finance group at Scadden, Arps, Slate, Mager, and Flum, and affiliates. And so it's a true pleasure to have him here on the podcast to really touch on a lot of the things that are forefront on the mind of healthcare leaders today, AI, genomics, precision medicine. So Deckel, thanks so much for being with us. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Saul, for having me. So uh, why don't we start with the genesis of it all, Deckel? What got you into healthcare?
0: Well, you know, Saul, it's, it's funny. I don't Recall ever making a conscious decision to get into healthcare. You know, about 10 years ago, I was in the peak of my career as a corporate attorney. I represented many of the um, entrepreneurs, basically, that are in positions position that I am right now. And I guess I always wanted to be on the side that created value rather than helping others create value. The medical space itself has so many opportunities for creating value. What's almost guaranteed in this space is that the value that you're creating is gonna impact people's lives in the most significant way possible. So 10 years ago when I met Motti Schneiberg and Lior Wolf, the co-founders of FDNA, and when I heard what they're trying to do, I saw unbelievable value and I immediately left my comfortable job and teamed up with them to pursue our mission, which is saving lives of kids with rare diseases.
1: Well, I think it's, it's, it's fabulous that you took that risk, Deckel, And, you know, as you look in your rearview mirror, there was no looking forward, there was no guarantee of success. And looking back now, you're like, wow, this thing worked out. So, you know, you, you've been through a lot of different things now, a lot of different companies as well. I'd love to hear from you what you believe needs to be forefront on the mind of leaders agendas in healthcare. And how are you and FDNA approaching it?
0: So Today, I'm a bit biased towards this subject, but I think that every medical leader should be considering how AI fits into their agenda, whatever it is. Specifically, there are a number of topics that we pay a lot of attention to, and I think that everyone should. First and foremost, how to separate the hope from the hype. So, in other words, what can AI actually do? And what... It can't do. And I think that's even more important to understand and realize. You need to understand what to embrace and what to reject. So that distinction is extremely important for any medical leader's agenda. Beyond that, and this falls kind of into the subcategories of AI, is how to control the quality of data. Everyone knows the, the saying garbage in, garbage out. So how do we avoid biases, inequities that are inherent in, in AI and in artificial intelligence? Then and this is a little bit more specific to uh, the medical space. How do you integrate AI successfully into the workflow in the medical space, specifically in healthcare professionals' workflow? That that really is extremely important. I can't really emphasize how important that is. And another thing that I think should be important for, for medical leaders when considering AI is starting to talk about how to share data. because if we don't share data we end up working in silos and that kind of ties back into the biases the inequities and and other really bad stuff that is associated with ai unfortunately and and finally you know being an ex lawyer i i'm always uh, preoccupied with the legality and ethics specifically in this evolving space where the legislators are lagging so we have mm-hmm. to think as as leaders we have to take corporate responsibility and think how we form this this new field if you will
1: Dekel, you've you've laid out um, an excellent foundation or or framework, rather, for any leader looking to to think about AI and the different things that they should be concerned with. You've obviously been spending a lot of time on this and, and have had success with it. Give us an example, maybe, of something that happened at FDNA, a result that was created, and how you guys improved outcomes and business processes by doing it differently.
0: So I have to say uh, the most recent notable milestone for us, I think, uh, was the Nature Medicine Manuscript that was published in January, early this year. It didn't change the the adoption of our solutions by healthcare professionals, which, which is how we measure our success currently. But it clearly demonstrates and validates the clinical utility and the value that we've created for thousands of clinicians around the world, and even more importantly, for hundreds of thousands of patients that are diagnosed or were diagnosed with the help of our technology. So I think that's the main value that we can already demonstrate. So usage, one of them, and then validation, scientific validation, uh, the other. And that kind of leads us as a segue to, to our next challenge, which is slightly related to improving business processes, I would say, but also within healthcare, which is how do we fully integrate our technology into not only the clinical evaluation workflow by healthcare professionals, but also into the genetic testing workflow. A lot is is being said right now about genomics, the role that genomics is gonna play in healthcare, how genetic testing is going to evolve. And we need to be able to show, to demonstrate, that we can integrate our technology into that workflow, into the processing of genetic information, by augmenting the
1: genetic analysis that's done in the lab. Fascinating. And and so is you and your team work to bring these technologies to the forefront of, of medicine, the front line where clinicians are are making an impact. You mentioned a, a list of, of a couple things that, hey, you know, things could go wrong. The legality of things, policy governing this work, clean data. Maybe you could share with us an example of a roadblock you ran into and what you learned from that roadblock that's made you and the company more successful today.
0: So in other words, failures. <laughs> uh, where, where should I start? <laughs> Listen, every successful product I think that we launch or that anyone for that matter launches is should start as a series of failures. I don't think that we're enlightened. I don't think that we came up with uh, with a solution or all by ourselves. We patiently came in. With a lot of grit, with a lot of dedication to our mission, and we've observed and we started to develop, and then we failed over and over and over again until we succeeded. So, there are, I I think, 99% of what we do is failure until we hit that success. It's just not visible. And you can take it anywhere. You know, the workflow that we started with was entirely wrong until we went and observed how clinicians actually work. Data security and architecture on the cloud was a disaster before we went into a site, a clinical site, deployed it, and encountered their rigorous IT specialists and privacy uh, specialists that reviewed it and said, you know, that will not work for us. So our path is full of failures. And I want to say one thing. First of all, I don't think that we had any huge mistakes here, but I want to say one thing that that I think captures the essence of startups in the healthcare industry. And I think this is contrary to the Facebook or the Silicon Valley approach of move fast and break things. Mm -hmm. In healthcare, you have to move slow and fix things because that's how it works. You don't get a second chance or not a lot of second chances. So you have to be very conservative. You have to move uh, very slow. You have to observe the system. You have to
1: play with the system and not try to disrupt it. I think that is a very insightful, deckle And that playing with the system without disrupting it, you know, so many folks make the mistake of wanting to disrupt it. It's a very, you know, everybody talks about it. You know, healthcare is already fixed. You can't fix it. It's already fixed. Okay. So work within it. and And that's the reality. The improvements that are being made within it examples such as FDNA is doing is huge of what can happen when you play with the system and then start doing your part to make it better. So, uh, you know, just a message for everybody listening right now from Deco, something to take note of. And the beauty of podcasts, you could always rewind it, re-listen to it. Maybe you got distracted. This is one that you're going to want to listen to. So Deco, thanks for that insight. And so really appreciate that failure story. Tell us about the other side of that coin, what's been one of your proudest leadership experiences at FDNA?
0: For me, personally, you know, yes. it doesn't matter how many articles are published about FDNA, how many scientific publications, how many talks I participate, how many patents we get, the amount of investments. These are all great moments in, in the life of any startup, any entrepreneur. But hands down, the most proudest moment for me is when I hear from families. When I hear uh, when I get any sort of message of gratitude from a family, of a patient with a rare disease, that's just pure pride
1: and joy for me. Love that, Decal. That's the a sign of of your mission's core and and your truth to that. So I give you a lot of credit for it. And and so when you do your work. And uh, and you make this type of impact. It's 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 awesome to get those outreach the outreach you're getting. Tell us about an exciting project that you're most looking forward to today.
0: So uh, yeah, sure. I'm uh, we're working on some really exciting stuff, specifically on several partnerships that will soon be publicly announced. One of them already publicly announced. Where we're focused right now. Um, so one of them, as I alluded to earlier, is uh, working with labs. Uh, we're working with several genetic testing labs about integrating our technology as part of that as an integral part of the process of genetic testing. So basically the ability, adding the ability to look at a patient and observe the clinical signs will amplify the ability of interpreting the genomic test results uh, significantly. Today, if you look at genome sequencing, Typically, I would say on average it yields a diagnostic rate of about 25%. Mm -hmm. So only 25% of the cases actually end up with a diagnosis. We've recently done a study where we showed that for syndromic patients, that is, patients that have those observable clinical signs that we can detect, we're able to triple that number. So yeah. And it actually makes sense because if you dive deeper into the genetic testing details, you'll know that any genome sequencing reveals thousands, literally thousands of abnormal results. Mm -hmm. And so the task shifts back to the person that needs to sift through all these results and decide what is pertinent, what is pathogenic, what causes the disease. To do that, the person, the human being looking at these results has to go back to the patient and understand the clinical signs. So we call that phenotyping, Hence, Mm -hmm. we're doing next generation phenotyping. We're using AI to discover those phenotypes and to be able to communicate with the bioinformatics element of the genetic test.
1: That is fascinating. And I had no idea it was that low. It was 25%.
0: Mainly, I would say there are two reasons for that. One is it just a burdensome task to go through all these Different variants, uh, genetic variations, and try to associate them with a disease. So that takes up a lot of time. As you know, time is a really scarce asset in the medical space. The other thing is knowledge. So we still don't know enough about the genetic causes of many diseases, even if they're Uh, what we call monogenic. Even if they're caused by a single gene, it's really hard to to get to the root of that with uh, genome sequencing. So by combining these, these different types of technologies or different approaches, we aim to significantly increase the value of genome sequencing. Another project that we're working on that this actually was publicly announced is a partnership with a contracted research organization called Covents, one of the largest CROs out there. We're working on improving the recruitment of clinical trials for clinical trials in the rare disease space. Hmm. So there's really limited access to, to patients with rare diseases, and that causes delays and even sometimes puts at risk the actual trials which yeah. means that all the drug development efforts that are depending on these trials are hindered. Sometimes drugs don't come to market. We want to fix that. So that's really exciting. And then finally we're working with pharma on specifically where there are already drugs on the market that could benefit patients with rare diseases. One of the problem is we can't find these patients in time to have the treatments efficient or effective. So we're trying to work with pharma on identifying patients at risk earlier in life and being able to deliver these life-saving drugs to them. So a lot, but uh, <laughs> everything is really exciting and, and uh, we're working really hard to get that done.
1: Well, you know what, uh, Deckel, it sounds like you definitely have a lot that gets you up early in the morning and just makes sure that you stay on top of it. So appreciate you sharing all those exciting updates. And so we're here at the point of the interview where we do a lightning round. So I've got a couple questions for you, lightning round style, followed by your favorite book recommendation for the listeners. You ready? Yeah, sure. All right. What's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes?
0: I'll give you my recipe. It has uh, several stages, right? Yeah. Study the clinical workflow through observation. That is by far the most important thing. You have to be extremely humble and go and observe. Identify the sources of data with the highest integrity. That is super important. Mm -hmm. Validate, publish, 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 whatever you can. That is the most valuable marketing asset that you have. You have to gain trust with a wide user base. And that's it. Put all these things in the oven and be patient. It's gonna take some time.
1: I love it, Deckel this is, this is great. And, and folks, again, you know, is dropping a lot of value here. So hit that rewind button, the recipe for outcomes improvement. And so um, what would you say is the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid?
0: In healthcare? Yes. I would say overpromising and underdelivering. I think I said this before in this interview. You rarely get a second chance. Integrity is probably the most important asset that you bring to the table. And so be humble. Don't overpromise. Don't over-market. I don't want to go into names, but there are a lot of pretty large companies out there that in the AI space that have overpromised and as a result, they were just completely rejected by this, this audience. It's a great call out.
1: And how do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change? I think this is something that is not unique
0: for the medical space. I think that every company should remain true to their mission statement as kind of a target destination. Ours is to help end the diagnostic odyssey of rare disease patients. And I think everything else is secondary. So you can look at every other thing as either a shortcut or a detour, and the way to that target destination. But if you stay true to that destination, you'll get there.
1: Brilliant. And what's one area of focus that drives everything in your organization? I think you know the patient's
0: well-being is what we care about, and so we have a lot of areas of focus that serve that purpose. Uh, one is you know being at the cutting edge of, of AI. The other is how to provide the best workflow experience to patients how to demonstrate and validate results, how to, to share, be transparent with our users and respect them. So all that is, you know, all those are areas where we
1: try to do our best. Love that. And Dekel, I have two extra ones that I've been asking more recently to help you make a more personal connection with the, with the listeners. So first one is, what is your number one health habit? That is
0: changing, uh, pretty frequently, but, uh, I, I try to uh, eat healthy, uh, recently started a ketogenic diet and, uh, it's, uh, I think it's, it's really promising, although uh, questionable. So you have to really stay focused <laughs> on how to eat healthy and exercising moderately.
1: Love it. And what is your number one success habit?
0: Uh, don't get stressed.
1: <laughs> Easier said than done, right? Yeah, but
0: I think you know. I think I think it also relates to the the previous one. So uh, just don't get stressed from from anything. It clouds your judgment.
1: Love that. Some great value there, Deckel, and really appreciate you going through that list with us. What what book would you recommend to the listeners?
0: if we're talking about business books and if your listeners happen to be CEOs of startups, the hard thing about hard things by Ben Horowitz. I, hmm. that, that book changed my professional life. And so I think, uh, it can save you hours and hours of, uh, uh, psychoanalytics. Just go and read the book. <laughs> A great uh, recommendation. If not, uh, then I would say Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari. It's, uh, it's an interesting book, easy reading. It has so much history cramped into it, and it presents some very interesting theories about how mankind evolved. So that's something that I think uh, could give you some perspective
1: on life, about society. Love that. Some great recommendations there, Deckel. And folks, for the show notes, as well as a full transcript and links to the books that Deckel recommended, as well as links to our uh, uh, FDNA, go to outcomesrocket.health. And in the search bar, type in FDNA, and you'll find that there. So, Dekel, just want to give you a big thanks and and ask, let the listeners uh, know a parting thought and the best place where they could learn more about what you're doing.
0: So, um, I'll give you my personal I believe, uh, which is, you know, if you want to change something in your life and your world doesn't really matter you have to have a true mission that you believe in otherwise you know the distractions the temptations the frustrations they're all going to throw you off course so that's that's my personal philosophy if you will and about fdna you can log in to www.fdna.com or you can reach me at deckle at fdna.com
1: beautiful Deckel. this has been a true pleasure and a privilege Keep up the outstanding work, and uh, thanks again for carving out some time with us. Thank you so much, Saul.
0: Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more.